Hello everyone, welcome back to the Salem Witch Trials. If you're a member, you can enjoy this, or if you're on the podcast, you can also enjoy listening to this. If you hear any snoring in the background, it's just my dog. <laughs> That's all. Um, yeah, so let's continue where we left off. In 1692, magic was quite real. And it is possible some of the accused believed they were practising it. We do know that at the very least, white magic was practised at Salem Village, as exemplified by the witch cake made under Mary Sibley's supervision. There was also John Hale's account of Dorcas Hall's palm reading and fortune telling. White magic could cross the line into black magic, as when the fortune telling turned to predictions of death. Counter magic was also used to protect homes, their occupants from witches. In 1973, when the Danvers home built by Governor John Endicott's son, Zerubbabel, was disassembled to make way for a shopping mall, workers found an iron horseshoe and an eel spear, shaped like a trident or devil's pitchfork. This was nailed to the timber frame near the hearth and outside the door to prevent evil from entering the home. The objects were discovered under the interior sheathing, suggesting they had been placed there when the home was built in 1681. An eel spear was subsequently discovered in the interior of Rebecca Nurse's house on top of the plate. The beam that supported the roof in a section of the lean-to-built, no earlier than 1740. Such counter-magic was apparently common, even in the homes of devout Puritans, such as the Endicotts and the Nurses, and its use continued well past 1692. Carefully hidden, these objects would be out of view or disapproving eyes of those, such as Samuel Paris, who consider counter-magic, be it horseshoes or witch-cakes, it was all evil. Still, families could draw comfort from knowing their homes were protected. There also was considerable evidence of image magic, the use of puppets. George Burroughs, John Proctor, Anne Purita and Alice Parker allegedly gave puppets to the afflicted for them to use to torment others. And years before, workmen had found puppets in the cellar wall of Bridget Bishop's house. John Proctor's son, William, was seen using a puppet, and Job Tuckley allegedly drove a great pin through the heart of a puppet, thus killing a man. Anne Dolliver, she was a slave, uh, Candy, and Elizabeth Johnson, Jr., all confessed to owning puppets. Candy was excused from the court in the middle of a testimony and returned with two puppets. She had fashioned paper with knots in rags, Johnson brought her three puppets to court as well, two made of rags or of stripes, stripes or of cloth, while the third was crafted from birch bark. Dolly was said she had owned one or two puppets made out of wax, though that had been 14 years earlier. A search of the home of Mary Lacey Senior and her daughter produced a suspicious parcel of rags, tape and quills tied up. Just the sort of supplies used to make puppets. Hmm. 
clearly there were some who was not only believed in the power of puppets and black magic, but they were willing to use it. For marginalised people, magic was a way to take control of their lives. Bridget Bishop was a poor woman, and Oliver's husband had abandoned her. And Oliver tried to excuse her behaviour, explaining that because she thought she was bewitched, and she had read in a book that told her that the way ye way to afflict them that had afflicted her. As a minister's daughter, Oliver clearly knew better. Trying to harm someone with magic was the devil's work. Her judgment may have been tempered by mental illness, though, for in 1698, her father, Reverend John Higginson, referred to her as overbearing melancholy, crazed in her understanding she was. Several years later, she would be declared mentally incompetent. Simple-minded Elizabeth John Johnson Jr. probably did not fully understand the significance of her actions either. At best, there were only a handful of people practising magic, especially black magic, in Essex County in 1692. There was no grand conspiracy of hundreds of witches, as some of the deponents have described. However, a few puppets and stories of others provided sufficient physical evidence convince people that Salem was indeed besieged by Satan and his agents. <laughs> Witchcraft, black or white, was above all else a very serious religious crime. And spiritual concerns are clearly reflected in the evidence. Salem Village Church members felt themselves under attack by Satan and led the accusations, lodging their charges principally against the people who were not members of the village church or congregation. Yet, the allegations went much further than the bounds of Salem Village Church, reaching anyone who might be a threat to orthodoxy, from Quakers, Baptists, to even five Puritan ministers and many members of their families. Many of the accused had ties to Quakers. The Bay Colony's execution of four Quaker missionaries for heresy more than three decades earlier had resultant outrage from the English Crown ensured that no friends would be harmed in the witch trials. Yet Puritans continued to have great concerns about Quakers. In his 1684, illustrious providences, Increase Mother connected the friends on Long Island to a group of ranters, an extreme radical, protestant sect known for drinking, blaspheming and practising free love believed to have bewitched their neighbours. He also described the attack of a stone-throwing demon on the Debouche Tavern, owned by a Quaker named George Walton in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. In the late 1680s, Increase's son, Cotton Mather, and three other Puritan ministers, John Allen, Joshua Moody and Samuel Willard, would engage in a tract war against Quaker George Keith whose writings attacked the Puritans. Cotton Mathers reminded his readers in his account of Goody Glover's bewitchment of the Goodwin children that Martha Goodwin was able to read a Quaker's book as well as a Popish book, but not the Bible or any orthodox Puritan writing. In 1691 he warned, I look upon Quakerism as a snare of the devil. Mother suggested that the strange quaking 
looked like diabolical possession. Mother also reminded his readers of the efforts of Quaker women, in particular to discredit the Puritan church. In 1663, Lydia Wardwell had walked into Newbury Sabbath service completely naked to protest against Puritan faith, which she felt lacked substance. Fourteen years later, another Quaker woman walked into Boston South Church in the middle of Sunday service wearing sackcloth and smeared in ashes. A shock Samuel Sewall stressed that it occasioned the most amazing uproar that I ever saw. Perhaps some had cotton mothers and miniatures in mind when Samuel Wardwell and others with Quaker ties were accused of witchcraft. Samuel was not himself a friend, but he and his wife Sarah both had Quaker ties. Notably, Samuel's brother, Eliakim, and sister-in-law, the naked Lydia Wardwell, had adopted the faith. Furthermore, the brothers' parents were antinomians who followed John Wheelwright to New Hampshire. So there was a streak of religious extremism in the family. Samuel was well known for his palmistry and fortune telling. It should therefore come to no surprise that both the Wardwells, their daughter Mercy, and Sarah's daughter Sarah Hawkes were accused. There were a number of Quakers in the family of Elizabeth Proctor and a sister, Mary Dirich, including their father and brother. Furthermore, their grandmother, Anne Burt, had been charged with witchcraft in 1669. Suspicion may have even fallen on respected Puritan St. Rebecca Nurse because of Quaker ties. In 1677, she and her husband, Francis, had become the guardians of an orphaned Quaker, Samuel Southwick. Perhaps Sarah Good had had some Quaker leanings, or at least knew their writings well enough to use them against her executioners. Her angry last words on the gallows to Reverend Noyes were drawn from the Bible, but they had been used by English Quaker Joseph Nicholson in 1660 tract to protest Massachusetts' execution of Quaker missionaries. Nicholson warned the magistrates and ministers of Bay Colony that God would seek vengeance and you shall have blood to drink who have shed innocent blood. Ah, so you see guys, as we are learning, it seems like they were accusing anybody who just uh, stepped outside what they expected them to believe in, you know. You know how it goes. They have a different belief, therefore they've got to be dwelling with Satan. Of course, what else? Thank you for listening to this part of The Accused. We'll continue with The Accused when we come back. And probably look at George Burroughs, who I believe had no quick ties. Maybe he did though, I don't know yet. Thank you for listening and many blessings. <laughs>